0: All right, McLean Bible Church, good morning. How you doing? It is great to uh, see you this morning. My name is Eric. I'm the campus pastor over um, at the Arlington campus, and I send greetings to the Tyson's campus and everyone who is watching online. If you have a Bible with you, uh, I want to encourage you to go ahead and head to Psalm 131. Psalm 131, that is where we're going to be. And so... Um, Over the last few weeks, we have been um, in a series um, on uh, the Psalms. And the series is titled A Psalm for Everything. And my prayer for you is this, is that God would use our time in the Psalms to shape us so that we begin to be shaped more by the reality of his presence than the reality of our circumstances. Our God is good. He is holy. He has been so good to us. And the Psalms are such a picture how his reality, the reality of who he is, can shape our souls to love him even more. And so we're in Psalm 131. I'm looking forward to this. And last time I was here, I preached Psalm 121, right? And so I'm here in Psalm 131. That's the same grouping of psalms. Um, These are called the Songs of Ascent. And last time I explained this, but the Songs of Ascent um, are songs that were pretty much uh, the people of Israel's rope trip playlist. They would sing these songs as they traveled uphill to Jerusalem uh, for their yearly pilgrimages. And so um, I love this music because these are travelers Songs. And what these songs do for us today is this, it that they highlight the journey that all followers of Jesus are on. I say this because if you are a son and daughter of the living God, here's the thing. Jesus has saved you, heaven is ahead of you, and his spirit is inside of you. However, that does not mean that the road is easy. I love in the scriptures, scriptures give us actually three different pictures of followers of Jesus to help us understand the journey that we're on. And see, it gives us three pictures. The scriptures call us pilgrims, exiles, and disciples. And what that means is this, is that pilgrims describes the fact that we're on a journey. Exiles describe the fact that our journey is not always easy. And disciples, well, that that term reminds us that there's some hope that we're not alone, that there is someone with us, leading us, and teaching us along the way. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so with that said, I want to read this text, Psalm 131, and I want to dive into it. And so let's do it. Psalm 131, here it is. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great. And too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with this mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of God. Let's take a moment to pray together today. And Father, we are grateful that your word is open right now. And we are so grateful that you give us the opportunity to sit beneath your word in order to hear exactly what you, are calling us to, what you are calling us to believe and do today. God, I pray that you help us to receive your words in faith and help us to obey whatever you tell us to do. We trust you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, real quick, I want to address the elephant in the room. So I'm pretty sure you are wondering why did I come out here uh, and crutches? Why am I sitting down? What's going on with this huge cast on my leg? And so uh, last week I was preaching at a summer camp uh, for high school students. And, you know, I'm at this camp and I'm trying to be young. I'm trying to be relatable. And I'm hooping. I'm hooping with these high school kids, right, playing basketball. Because, listen, like my, my inner me says I'm still 20. Right? I know many of you guys are looking at me and you're like, Eric, you actually look 20. I appreciate that. Thank you. And so let me tell you what happened. Yes, amen. So let me tell you what happened. And so I um, am playing basketball. I have the ball. I'm on the wing. I'm painting the picture for you. I have visions of Alan Iverson, of I've giving him a crossover, taking him to the basket. So I cross to the left. I plant with my right and I attempt to drive. And then all of a sudden there's a loud pop. Yeah, that's a burning sensation. And what it was is this. My soul loudly declared that, Eric, you're 20, but my Achilles tendon loudly declared, Eric, you're almost 40. So, so, so in that moment, I, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. And, and, and what's, what's interesting about that is this. Before that moment that I ruptured my Achilles tendon, I had never paid attention to my Achilles tendon before. Never, right? I've I've never intentionally thought about my Achilles until last week. Maybe never, right? And then my Achilles tendon made itself loudly known last week through the noise and the pain, right? You, You see, I'm going somewhere with this this morning. The reason why I didn't pay attention to my Achilles tendon before that moment is because here's the thing. A healthy Achilles tendon does not call attention to itself. It only calls attention to itself when something is wrong with it. And when my Achilles tendon went wrong, it got really loud and really painful. And here's the thing. I'm going to bring this home to you. My Achilles tendon got loud last week. But let me tell you something. It is likely that your soul is loud today. What are you talking about? Well, what is your soul? We all have one, right? Your soul, here's the thing. Your soul is the immaterial part of you. It's a part of you that thinks. It's a part of you that feels. It's the part of you uh, that desires. It's the part of you that actually makes you, well, you. Your, your soul, like my Achilles, is not meant to call attention to itself. It's meant to simply do the work that it was created to do. It's simply, it's simply supposed to do the work of glorifying God. And our souls were meant to be about that work. And the fact that our souls are loud tells us that something is wrong with it. Eric, what are you you talking about? Here's the thing. My Achilles declared that something was wrong with it when it, when, when it made the loud noise pop. Here's the thing. Your soul declares that there's something wrong with it when it declares this loud noise. Me. Me. Listen, a loud Achilles is an unhealthy Achilles. And here's the thing this morning. A loud soul is an unhealthy soul. And I love this psalm because in this psalm, David advertises that he's found the way to a quiet soul. His soul went from loud to quiet. He declares this. He declares that he's found the quiet soul, and he encourages the people of God to do the same thing. And so we're going to spend some time in these short three verses, and in these short three verses, we're going to answer a couple of questions. We're going to answer these questions. Where does the noise come from? And we're going to answer, where does the quiet soul come from? And then we're going to answer the, 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 the big question, how do we actually get a quiet soul? How do we get a quiet soul? So we're going to lead off, lead off with the first question, where does the noise come from? I think we actually see this in verse 1. In verse 1, David, who is the author um, of, uh, of, of the Psalms, he actually reveals in Psalm 1 what he's left behind intentionally. He's learned to quiet the me, 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 me of his soul. Look at the verse. He says, O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. And I love this because what I appreciate about this psalm is this, because most psalms are public decorations. But this psalm is not a public declaration of David. This psalm is actually a private prayer. He's, He's addressing God, and he's talking to God about some of the spiritual growth that he's experienced. And he says, God, you know what some of the growth that I've experienced is? You know what's happening? My heart right now, my heart is not lifted up. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he's actually been able to renounce pride. He's learned how to turn down the noise, to turn down the volume of me, 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 me. This noise as a result of exalting ourselves and lifting ourselves up to the place that only God should be. I love it. DJ just read it in Psalm 148. Psalm 148 actually states near the end that God's name alone should be exalted. And yet in our pride, instead of placing God as the focal point of our thoughts, Our affections and our desires, we placed ourselves there, and we were never, ever meant to put ourselves there. And let me tell you this morning, it's loud. The first verse of Psalm 131 describes what it sounds like. And this preoccupation of the self leads to a preoccupation of your place before other people. Look at the next line. The next line says this. It says, my eyes are not too raised high. You see, what that means, in other versions, it talks about this idea of haughty eyes. And and this carries this idea um, uh, of the eyes always looking to see how you're being perceived. I know I'm not the only person that struggles with that this morning. We're always comparing ourselves to other people to see how we measure up. And what that ends up doing in us is that either we end up boasting or we end up despairing. How much of our lives are spent playing the, uh, the, the comparison game? For some of us, that drives everything we do, that, that's, driven, uh, that, 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 that's driven what we wear, that, driven, that drives what we drive, that drives what we do. Because we can't stop the inner voice from telling us that we have to work and work and work in order to measure up to the people around us. I love what C.S. Lewis called this, calls this. He calls this straight up pride, but I love, what he, I love how he describes it. And so i want to give you a quote from C.S. Lewis. He, he, He explains this perfectly. He says, Pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, the pride has gone. Does that describe you? I don't know when I read that. It was a bullseye right. It was a bullseye right in the chest because he's describing how pride is inherently competitive. How pride often declares that I'm better than you. But I don't want to let you off the other side of the hook because guess what? We can still be prideful in our jealousy and envy because our jealousy and envy may not say that I'm better than you, but our jealousy and envy certainly declare that we deserve to be. How many of us have looked at someone who has the kind of life that we deeply desire and we think about them and we say, why not me? I deserve that more than they do. We look at the one who has the family or the success or the relationships that we want and we compare and we contrast and we say, I should have what they should have. This is pride and we can't stop determining our worth based off of, what we, based off of where we seem to be in relationship to other people. And our pride and our self-preoccupation leads to an obsession not only with our place among others. Hang with me today. It leads us to, to, to look at the end of verse one, to occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. It leads us to begin to begin occupying and, 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 and thumbing our nose in places that we have no, that, that, that we have no business thumbing our nose in. And I guess let me tell you one of the ways that I see this mostly uh, I'm working out. In a group of people that I typically pastor, that, that I pastor, I mostly see this um, a bubble up in an obsession about the future. I often see people so consumed about the secret will of God for their future, and they totally ignore God's revealed will for their present. What do I mean by that? So sometimes I sit down with people and and instead of obsessing what God has clearly told us to do right now in His Word and and obsessing over His revealed will in His Word and walking in obedience and trusting God for, for, for our future, we see this manifested in those who are so worried about simply making the next decision. They're so worried about... Make a decision about the job, and making a decision about the spouse, and making a decision about this person—they're so worried and thinking, "Man, if I make the wrong decision, does that mean I'm out, I'm out of God's will? If I'm out of God's will, God can't bless me." And, and hear me today: This doesn't mean that you do not need to prepare for the future. You, to be, you don't need to be scared of it. Here's the thing: There are so many of us who are so preoccupied with God's secret will about our future. And we don't trust that if we follow his revealed will in the present, he will lead us to the future. He'll lead us to the future. Guys, his revealed will is so key because if we obey his revealed will in the present, we can entrust him with our future. But this is one of the ways that I see people concerned and occupied with things too great and too marvelous for us. So let's look at all this all together. When you look at verse 1, there's a lot of noise in the background of verse 1. But I I think we can determine what it's coming from. The loud noise that's in the background of verse 1, that kind of noise that David has has renounced, is the noise of self-preoccupation. Self-preoccupation. It's the noise when we are concerned in our souls of me, 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 me. We're concerned about our glory. We're concerned about our place. We're concerned about our future. And when I think about noise and stuff, listen, there are certain noises uh, in my life that just make me cringe when I think about them. And let me give you one of those. when you smack your food? Lord Jesus. Uh, Listen. Man, I I can't stand it. I can't stand it. It it causes a physical reaction in me. I can't relax. I can't rest when the noise in my ears is just smack, 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 smack. And here's the thing. Similarly here, we cannot relax and rest, any of us, when the noise in our souls is me, 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 me. You know what that that, that noise makes us do? It it makes us become consumed and anxious about keeping our place in the world. We're, we're envious when we're not where we want to be, and we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, and we're anxious about what we do and how we're coming across, and we don't have a peace about the future, and we're trying to quiet all this noise, and we can't. And, but here's the thing. Let me ask you a question today. What does this kind of noise sound like in you? That noise that won't stop. That preoccupation with the self, and, and you may not know how to answer that question. I'll, I'll be vulnerable, and I'll answer um, that. Uh, uh, I'll answer it for me. I'll give you an example. I tend to be consumed with what other people think about me. And a lot of the noise that I wrestle with in this life comes from a desire because I want to hear the approval of other people rather than the approval of God. And let me tell you, let me tell you how this manifests itself in, in, in my life. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you kind of the, uh, the, the, the backdoor view of, 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 of a pastor. Like I preach fairly often and it's often the case that when I'm prepping during the week, I would hope that if I'm sitting with the word of God, man, and I'm quiet, I'm just hoping that it's a quiet time, man, when I'm just hearing the voice of God. But let me tell you more often than not, it's a noisy experience. Why is that? Because when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm often worried about what will people think about me when I preach this thing. I'm often worried, and I'm often worried about, man, is this sermon going to be helpful? When people, when people think I did a, a, a good job, and hear me today, the goal of this is not for you to tell me that I did a good job, right? It's not the goal of it, because guess what? Even if you tell me that, it won't be enough. Why is that? Because next week is coming. I'm going to sit down yet again on Tuesday, and I'm going to try to get quiet and hear the word of God. And guess what's going to happen? That noise is going to bubble up within me. And what I've learned is this. Human approval is not enough to quiet the noise of my soul. And listen, I can imagine that the beings in this world, here's the thing, will not be able to quiet the noise of self-preoccupation for you either. We think that getting a spouse, we think that the achievement, we think the perfect kids, we think the promotion, we think their approval, we think the likes and the followers and the accolades will quiet the noise and the desire of self-preoccupation in us. And let me tell you today, it won't. And my question for you today is this, don't you want to be free of the noise? Don't you want to be free of the self-preoccupation? Don't you want to be free? Don't you want a soul that's free of the noise of me, 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 me? And I love what David is saying in verse 1. He's saying, listen, I've learned how to turn that noise off. He says, I don't, I'm done with that. My heart is not raised up. My eyes are not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And the question we should have is, how does he do that? How, where does a quiet soul come from? Well, look at verse 2. I love this picture. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with this mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I don't know if you've ever observed or ever been a part of the weaning process, but let me tell you today, it's a process. It's a process. It takes some time. And David is saying here, he's saying, listen, I've learned it. I've I've learned it. I've learned to live the quiet life when I'm not insecure, when I'm not tying every single experience, every single conversation uh, um, back to me, when I'm not fighting for my place or comparing myself uh, 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 between other people, where I'm not always insecure. Like, I'm done with that. I'm done being self preoccupied. And we see a bit of how he does that in the illustration that he gives. He says that his soul is like a weaned child with his mother. Hey, hang hang with me here, because there's so much in this illustration. I've seen this process happen twice. Like, I have two kids, right? Uh, A weaned child is a child who's finally learned that they don't have to yell in order to get what they want, right? Like, I I know many of us, all of us, have probably seen a hungry baby um, with with its mother, and the baby's not weaned. What is that baby like? That baby's fussing, the baby's crying, it's not quiet. A baby who is not weaned, their only concern is to get fed. A baby who is not weaned and hungry, they are self-preoccupied. It's not their fault, but they are self-preoccupied. It's not their fault. The baby needs to eat. However, hear me today. When a child is weaned, they know that they no longer need to yell, nag, or fuss. Why is that? Because a child who is weaned, They know that they have a mother who cares about them and knows how to feed them. That baby can rest and trust in the care and concern of the mother. I'll keep it going. A baby that is weaned no longer has to be preoccupied with self because the baby realizes that he has a mama that is preoccupied with him. Let me tell you today. I'll bring it home. Listen. There's nobody in life more preoccupied with their children than mothers. If somebody said amen. I'll prove it to you. Go to a mother who just had a baby and look at their Facebook page. I promise you, you'll see 30 photos of the same baby in the same outfit. And you're like, all these pictures are the same thing. And the mom would say, no, they're not. She has a bow in that photo. And in this photo, she has different shoes on. No, no, like a mother is preoccupied with their new, newborn uh, uh, baby. And I know this personally. I remember our first child, and I'll give you an embarrassing story. I remember our first child, Eli. He came home. We didn't know what we were doing. We we're first-time parents. And my mom, my, my, I'm sorry, my wife is tired. Tired. Every time Eli would stir, she would wake up, right? And so I told her, I said, hey, listen, you need to get some rest. So this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna go sleep on the couch. I'm gonna put Eli in the bassinet. He's gonna sleep by me on the couch. You sleep all the way in the room. So you don't hear him rustling about. And so when he wakes up and he cries and he's hungry, listen. I'll just simply pick them up and I'll bring them to you. So that was the plan. Let me tell you what happened. Three hours later, I wake up and I see my wife and my baby hovering over me and both of them are looking at me disappointed. <laughs> Why is that? Because I slept completely through the cries of my kid <laughs> and my wife heard him from, 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 from from across the house, right? And why is that? Because mothers are preoccupied with their children. You know what I love about the Scriptures? In the, in the Scriptures, God is our Father. Jesus commands us to call God Father. That's why we do that. And yet there are places in the Bible where God compares himself to a mother. For instance, look at Isaiah 49:15." It says this. It says, can a mother forget her nursing child, that she, that, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. I love this verse. This verse declares that God is obsessed and preoccupied with his children. And here's the thing. A child is able to rest when he realizes that somebody more capable than him is preoccupied with him. And we see how that quiets a baby, but I hope you see how that quiets a soul. Because here's me today. The quiet soul comes from realizing that you have a capable and caring God that's preoccupied with you. This is a lovely picture. David says here, this is the picture of my soul. My soul no longer has to be proud within me. I no longer have to be concerned about what other people think about me and how other people see me. I no longer have to be concerned with things beyond me because there's a God in heaven who's for me and will provide for me and I can rest in him. Our souls can get calm and quiet because instead of crying, me, 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 we can entrust our, our souls to a God who's got me. I, I, love, I, I love this song. Because David is saying this at verse 3, matter of fact. David says, I've learned the way to a quiet soul. And guess what? You can learn this way too. That's why I love verse 3. Look at verse 3. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. See, this is what I love about this psalm. The first two verses, David is addressing God. He says, oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted too high. He, he's expressing his spiritual growth to God and thanking him um, for that. And then David, what does he do? He gets up from his knees. He wipes them off. And he declares to the people of God, guess what? You can experience this hope as well. He's inviting the people in. He's inviting them in. And I love it because this is good news for us. This means that you can have a quiet soul this morning. So what it means it means, that, means. it means that you can have a soul that's not always focused on you and where you stand and what other people think. Your soul could be quiet and not call attention to itself and just work the way it's supposed to. How do we get that? I think you see it in this third, in this third verse. We get it by hoping in the Lord. By hoping in the Lord. We receive a quiet soul by hoping in God's sovereign care rather than our own. We receive a quiet soul by hoping in God's sovereign care rather than our own. I love this. We receive a quiet soul when we realize that God is capable of caring for you better than you are caring for you. I'll give you an example. I remember years ago, I remember traveling on a mission trip with pastors from McLean Bible, and I was on a mission trip with uh, Todd Peters. If you don't know Todd, Todd's the pastor at our Prince William campus. He's also at Navy uh, Navy SEAL, right? And so I remember being on this trip, and usually when I'm traveling abroad, like, I'm I'm pretty vigilant. My, My head is on a swivel. But here's the thing. When Todd was with me, I slept that whole trip. And let me tell you why. Because while I was asleep, I looked over and Todd was awake. In my mind, I can't go to sleep because Todd is an S Navy SEAL. He is capable of taking care of me in ways that I can't even take care of me, right? I was asleep. I was able to go to sleep because I knew that his care for me is better than my care for me. And I love this because here's the thing. God God is capable of caring for you better than you of you. Our soul is so loud because we think that we are on our own. We feel like we got to make a name for ourselves. We feel like we got to make the future happen ourselves. And we don't realize that God is there and he cares for you so deeply. He quiets our souls with this care. And the way to experience this care, if you don't know him, first is to become a child of God. How do you experience the quieting care of God? Well, you got to be a child of God. I'll give you another brief example, man. And this, this story actually may paint me in a bad light, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I remember years ago being in a grocery store. I'm in an aisle, and I look down, and I'm the only one on the aisle. I look down, and there's a child, right? Child is there looking up at me. Child's crying, a little blonde-haired child crying. Child couldn't be two years old, and the child's alone. And the child reaches up to me in order, to, uh, in order for me to pick um, him up. The child's clearly lost, separated from a parent. But, 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 but here's the thing. In the moment, I admit I was hesitant to pick this child up, to console him, to quiet him. Why is that? Among other reasons, this child was not mine. I think the, 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 the thing that was going on in my head is like if I pick up this child and the parent rounds the corner and they see me holding this child, I, I might be on the news tonight. And so what I did in a moment is I stayed close to the child, right? I called a grocery store worker over and, 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 and had the grocery store worker made an announcement that the child was looking for a parent and, and the parent eventually came. Um, but I didn't pick up that child and quieted that child. However, that tune changed last week. Last week I was in Target and there was a crying child and I picked that child up and quieted him. You know what the difference was? The child that I picked up in Target was my kid, right? I was able to pick that child up, and I quieted that child because that child was mine. Here's the thing. God quiets his children. And we have a God in heaven who quiets his children. And if you don't know him and you're not a child of God, guess what? He wants you to be his. He wants you to be his. And I love it. You have the opportunity to become a child of God. You may look around this room, and you may be thinking, man, listen, I don't deserve it. Here's the thing, none of us deserve to be children of God. All of us forfeited that right. All of us were created by a God who made us, who cared for us. And instead of resting in his sovereign care, what we did was we pushed him aside, and what we said is we can care for ourselves. What we said is instead of trusting your sovereign rule and your care and your concern, that we can go about it ourselves. That was our pride talking. That was our sin talking. We rebelled against God. And because God is holy and just, we deserve his wrath. And if we die in that state, we'll be under his eternal wrath forever. You may think, Eric, that's bad news. No, it's not. Here's the good news. That God in heaven is so gracious, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life in full obedience to his father. He never went off on his own way. He trusted his father's will. And yet, he died a death on the cross in our place for our sin, taking the punishment that we deserve. Not only did he die, he rose again in power, proving that he's God and that he's victorious over all of our sin and over our, all our rebellion. And what this means is this. is that if we simply place our trust and faith in him, if we simply declare, God, listen, I'm done caring for myself. I'm done being preoccupied with my way. I'm done being about me, 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 me i now now trusting you as Lord. Guess what? He'll forgive you. He'll forgive you of all that you've ever done. And in that moment, we can experience his quieting love for us. We can experience the kind of quiet that our souls have been longing for. Here's the thing. If you don't know him, I want to encourage you to hope in him for salvation. I want to go and encourage Gabe to come back out. And with that said, you may look at me and you may say, Eric, listen, I'm already a child of God. Can you tell me what I need to do? Because I know I'm a child of God, and yet I can't stop being preoccupied with myself. Every day, the, 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 the soundtrack of my head is me, 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 me. Every conversation, everything is all about me. How do I turn down that noise in my soul? What I'm going to tell you today is a similar way. We need to keep hoping in the Lord. I love this verse. It says, oh, Israel, he's talking about the people of God the people that already know God. He says, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. We don't begin hoping in God and immediately stop. Every single moment of your life is a quest to continue to hope in God, to hope in Him. And I'm gonna get really practical for you today before we shut it down. Every day our souls are loud with us, with me, 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 and one of the ways that we hope in the Lord is this. We turn our eyes off of me and on him. We focus on him. What I'm talking about today is the discipline of worship. Worship kills the noise of self in the soul. I'll say that again. Worship kills the noise of self in the soul. And I'll give you an analogy to explain. Recently, NBC Arlington, last year, we moved into a new location, right in the heart of Arlington. And if you haven't visited us, come through and check us out. Um, but when we first started the gathering at NBC Arlington, we were in this room, and yet we didn't have noise panels on the wall. You may not know what noise panels are, but if you see these green panels on the wall, they aren't just here for decoration. Like, those are here in order to catch uh, 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 the sound, right? Right like they're here to limit uh, noise. And so at Arlington, before we um, got those noise panels, we would play music, the sound would just echo, right? Like the drums would just echo, everything was loud, but that was until we raised those panels. And when we raised those panels, the noise got so much better, the echo was dead. It was so much better. Those panels killed all of the echo in the room so that we could hear the beauty of the music. And like those panels killed the the echo in the room, here's the thing this morning. Worship catches and kills the echo of me and the soul. This is what it does. Worship catches and kills the echo of me, 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 and the soul so that we can have the beauty of a quiet soul, a soul that simply glorifies God. Listen, guys, when our souls are so loud with self-preoccupation, with the noise of me, 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 we feel so concerned about what other people think, and we're filled with anxiety and worry and a, and, and, and a lack of peace. What if we took that as a prompt to worship? What if? What if we took that as an opportunity to remind ourselves that we can hope in a God that cares for us and that He's greater than anyone and anyone else? Guys, we need to meditate on His goodness because worship and self. Can't share the same space. So I'll keep driving at home and we'll shut it down. Well, what if every time you're tempted to view yourself through the eyes of other people, you pause and you worship the God who sees you and calls you his? What if in that moment where you're tempted to believe and think, man, like I'm so concerned with what everybody thinks about me? What if you rehearse the shoot of Zephaniah 3:17? that says that the eyes of others don't matter because there's a God in heaven who quiets you with his love and rejoices over you with loud singing? What if every time you're tempted to worry about things too great and too marvelous for you, that you pause and you remembered Psalm 8610? And that verse says, the, the God who does great and marvelous things, him and him alone is Lord. What if you meditated on that? and You realize that that God who does great and marvelous things, He can handle the great and marvelous things, and that God is for me; He's not against me. Amen. Listen, the way to quiet the noisy soul is to do what? It's to delight in God. It's to delight in God and to know that this He delights in us, just like a mother, just like a mother with a weaned child. Rest in that today. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we love you. God, we are grateful, so grateful that you would come and rescue us. Father, we willfully went away from you. We willfully trusted ourselves rather than you. We willfully sinned against you. And because of that, our souls operate in ways that it should, and our souls are so loud with me, 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 me. And thank you so much for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you for him saving our souls from rescuing us from our sin, from giving us a new way of life so that we can have souls who are no longer allowed with the chorus of me, but we can have souls that are rested. We can rejoice in what Jesus says when he said, when you say, Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You say, "Take our yoke." Of, you, you, you say, "For us to take your yoke upon us, for you are gentle and lowly in heart. For we will find rest for our souls." Thank you that rest is only found in you. Help us to find that. Help us to turn down the noise of me, so we can turn up our preoccupation with you. Help us, Lord. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.